1: a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org/podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support
0: from KQED. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty more at irvine.org, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Today,
2: a special edition of the California Report magazine. For decades, Mylin Lee has been lying to her parents about who she really is.
3: You have to answer them with no hesitancy. I mean, sometimes you can pretend like you have forgotten you're thinking, but there's a certain energy you have to put behind those answers or else it looks a little
2: suspicious. Most of us have lied to our parents, but Mylin is lying a lot about major things, and she's kind of old for that. She's 31.
3: It's, it's almost like a weird disorder I have now where I start lying about things I don't even need to lie about, but I just do it to be on the safe side.
2: I'm April Demboski sitting in for Sasha Coca, and on this week's show, the story about a woman from San Jose who says her whole life is about being two people at the same time. This story first aired on The Leap, a podcast about making dramatic risky changes. (laughs) Mylin woke up from a dream in a panic. In the dream, her mom and dad had just died and their ghosts were driving a van. They were taking Mylin and her brother and sisters to the cemetery
3: and there was no funeral. no one was wearing all black, it was just the family and we get out of the van and this is where we're supposed to say goodbye and um I hold out this wad of cash, like a fat wad of like 100 bills or something, and I try to hand it to my my mom. And she's like, oh no, just keep it. We can't take that with us now. Then she tried to give her her only gold necklace, and it turned into bronze when I handed it over to her. And there was just like this feeling of remorse of not giving them what they wanted while they were alive.
2: Mylin has never been who her parents wanted her to be, so when she's with them, she gives them the daughter they want, and she keeps the truth about who she is to herself. It can be exhausting.
3: Sometimes when they try calling me on the weekend and I'm too anxious to answer because I don't know what lies I'm going to have to come up with in that phone call, I just don't respond, or I don't pick up.
2: And then she'll text them back a couple days later and say, oh, sorry, I was camping, even though she was home the whole weekend doing nothing.
3: Some people are like, you're 31 now. Why do you have to keep doing this? And I, no one can understand how special my parents are. They're just different, even for Asian immigrant parents, and I can never know how they're going to react to something that seems really normal to me, so I just don't even risk it.
2: But this dream of her ghost parents driving her to their own funeral, of Mylan trying to give them her most valuable possessions, but it was too late. It made her wonder if she should own up to all the lies she's been living since high school.
3: If I know that my time with them is short now, do I use that time to tell them the truth and to to share myself, like, my true self with them? Like, don't I want, I don't know, to have any kind of relationship with them before they leave? And that's just, I don't know. When she
2: was young, My Lin barely remembers seeing her parents at all. Her mom and dad had fled Vietnam after the war, settled in San Jose, and tried to forget the past. After they had My Lin and her younger sister, they spent all their time working on a food truck.
3: Like, this was before food trucks were hip, you know? It was just very functional.
2: Her dad drove and collected the money. Her mom did all the cooking.
3: She knew how to make hamburgers, chow mein, hot dogs, burritos.
2: They were on the truck from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day, and they were always so tired so irritable
3: my relationship with my mom probably started going south really early once um probably once i hit first grade there was one
2: time my lynn forgot to take her backpack to school she was six
3: and no one could understand why i was so worried about that and when i got home my mom found out and she just lost her mind like she We had this like plastic Fisher-Price table. She just like kicked that thing across the room. It hit the wall so hard, it terrified me. She threatened to not feed me that night. She was just saying all kinds of things. Like, you know,
2: why are you so stupid? Like, what do you eat? Then her mom turned the Fisher-Price table right side up and made my Lynn sit down. She dropped a giant textbook in front of her.
3: She wanted me to copy the whole thing from front to back. So I'm sitting there like copying out this textbook as my punishment. I still have the um, the little blister on my middle finger from holding that pencil to this day.
2: It wasn't just her mom, her dad too. She never knew what was going to set them off.
3: Just the amount of rage they had inside of them was scary. I would wake up every morning just dreading the day. Like, what am I gonna mess up today? What are they going to yell at me ab- about today? And I remember wanting to hide in my room all the time if I got home before they did and then I'd hear that garage door open, I would just run to my room and like pretend like I was doing homework cuz I didn't want to talk to them.
2: Mylin's best friend says when Mylin was young, she had these huge eyes. She always looked like she was about to cry or like she just finished crying. Her first grade teacher must have thought something was up at home because one day she invited a social worker to the
3: class. Somehow I had the feeling that that social worker was there to see me even before anything was said. You know, she introduced the social worker to the whole classroom and then she said, oh, and she's going to take Mylan into the next room and, and have a little chat with her. You know, she kept asking questions like, do they hit you and where do they hit you and this kind of thing. And, you know, my parents weren't physically abusive but they were just terrifying.
2: As Mylin got older, her parents got more and more controlling. Her mom would see a show on TV about kids getting kidnapped. And next thing you know, Mylin wasn't allowed to walk anywhere by herself.
3: Even when I was 17, like I had a best friend who lived literally on the block behind us, behind our house, and she wouldn't let me walk over there by myself sometimes.
2: She never learned how to ride the bus because her parents insisted on hiring drivers to take her to school. They listened in on
3: all her phone conversations. Even my friends and my friends' parents felt bad for me. Like, they would actually lie to my parents for me sometimes so that I could go to the movies or something, you know?
2: Mylan went from being the kid who always looked like she was going to cry to a teenager who couldn't fall asleep at night.
3: I was just kind of picking up on what my parents were afraid of. It just really leaked into my own personality. She was always reacting
2: to them, reading their moods, dodging their tantrums, making up stories to keep the peace.
3: I really kept it together. Like, I was really good at suppressing (laughs) my own anger and frustration and just, like, putting on a show for them and letting them feel what they want to feel. She saw her
2: life unfolding into a vacant lot. She saw a future where she follows all her parents' rules on the outside and the rage that burns in her stomach slowly drains until inside, she's empty. She needed something, somewhere where she could feel something else, where she could start to figure out who she was besides her parents' daughter. That's when she discovered the youth center. When she was in 12th grade, she started to sneak over after school to hang out with all the break dancers.
3: There was that movie that came out, You Got Served, she was entranced by what the dancers in the film
2: were doing. The supervisor at the center started to teach her some moves, one wrist roll, one leg hit at a time. Mylin was like the popping and locking version of the karate kid. Soon, she was dancing freestyle in battles. Mylin knew her parents wouldn't approve. She told them she was doing volunteer work after school.
3: Everything was about college, and so if they heard from their friends like, oh yeah, your kid needs to do this because like, it'll help her get into college, then I was allowed to do it. So dancing wasn't even on the, on the map because none of the other kids were doing it.
2: Dance was her secret. When she was moving, she could just be and explore and not think about the future.
3: Especially with popping, because it was all freestyle, there wasn't any choreography. So it was always about like kind of being in the moment and just seeing where it goes. And I think that's just how I was naturally built to operate. Like I just wanted to not know (laughs) where things were going, but look for what excited me the most. And the way that my parents had things planned out, there was no room for that. There was no possible way I was gonna be able to do that. The plan was for Mylan to become a pharmacist. Like, I was given no, no say in this.
2: So when Mylan went to UCLA for college, she majored in biochemistry. She hated
3: it. I remember I couldn't sleep one night because I just kept replaying this dance that I choreographed in my head over and over and over again for the whole night. And the, the next morning, I went to the dance department and I asked them, like, how do I get in? And that was where things really started to open up for me. It was like I left one world where things, just everything sucked and then I walked into another world where there was so much potential and there were so many possibilities.
2: She switched her major from biochem to dance. This is how the real-lying started, the next time her mom called. And she
3: just says, are you still studying science? And I just was caught off guard so it kind of just slipped, it came out. I, just the first thing I said no I am not exactly and she said then what are you studying and I know the wrong answer is I don't know so this is a tricky part um with this question is if whatever comes out of my mouth next there has to be all the steps planned out after that up to me getting a job so I I said um Instead of telling her what I was studying, I just told her, oh, I'm, I decided I'm going to be a lawyer. So I just threw that down.
2: To Mylin, this was a brilliant performance.
3: After we hang up, I'm thinking, oh my God, that was the best thing I could have said because there's no pre-law requirements. There, there's no pre-law major. She just
2: bought herself two years to keep dancing without any nagging.
3: So it felt like, wow, that turned out really well.
2: But it turned out to be a curse. When those two years were up, she felt like she had no choice but to live out the lie.
3: This was the start of my double life. She took the LSAT and applied to law school. My whole life is about doing two things at once, I feel like, or being two people at once.
2: After she finished school and got a job at a corporate law firm in San Francisco, she was competing in dance battles at night and on the weekend. She started booking theaters, putting together her own shows, getting reviewed in the paper.
3: I kept calling it my Starbucks job. You know how every artist has to have a Starbucks job? So that's what law was to me. She'd visit her parents and eat Vietnamese noodles and tell them
2: how much her bosses at the law firm loved her, how she was on track for a promotion. How she was the dutiful, successful daughter they had always planned on. But then she had that dream, the one where her parents are ghosts driving the family to the graveyard.
3: It's weird. Even though I don't have a relationship with them, I feel really attached to them. Which is why I think that dream was so painful. It was like, Don't I want them to know?
2: She was starting to win awards for her dancing and get
3: recognized. Maybe her parents would be proud. Maybe I've been selfish about who I am. Like I haven't shared any of that with them. Marlene decides
2: now's the time to tell them. She sends them a video of her dancing in a popping battle. In it, she's gliding over the stage, folding her hands in intricate, deliberate movements, both precise and graceful. The DJ and a row of judges sit behind her on the stage, one of them nodding his approval.
3: Five hours later, my dad called me, and um, I pick up, and he brings up the video immediately. And my first thought was, oh my God, he's going to tell me how much he liked it. Uh Uh-huh. He was kind of in tears and he said that he, he nearly fainted when he saw it even though you know I'm on a stage I'm fully clothed I don't know exactly what he was thinking but he called me crying and saying things like is this what you do like are is are those the people you associate yourself with like he felt so ashamed then he says if you love us you'll stop dancing right now I just said, okay, I quit dancing right now, and then I hung up on him.
2: You're listening to a special edition of the California Report magazine, a story about one woman's struggle to live a double life, following her passion as a dancer, but hiding it from her parents by becoming a lawyer. I'm April Domboski, and this story comes from KQED's *The Leap*, a podcast about people making dramatic, risky changes.
3: Are you guys ready? Let's, let's have two of you face each other.
2: Lynn tries out some moves at a dance studio in Berkeley.
3: Tent, like really tense. tense. She's brought
2: together a group of street dancers from her world of popping and hip-hop with a group of ballet dancers. In a few weeks, they're going to perform together on stage, two opposing worlds colliding
3: in art. I wanted to use the Ugly Duckling which I think a lot of people misinterpret as like a story about transformation, which is kind of funny because the ugly duckling didn't like suddenly transform into a swan. He was actually always a swan. So it was actually a story about misperception.
2: Mylin wants to correct the record to show that ballet and street dancers have more in common than they have differences.
3: They just had moments where they suddenly thought the same thing and did the same thing, like at the same time. And it was crazy, because you know that that could only happen when two people are so in tune with each other and listening so hard that they could be thinking the same thing.
2: The show is a huge success. Every night is sold out. It gets written up in newspapers and on radio and TV programs. My Lynn is named one of 20 women to watch in the arts. Her parents know nothing. She can't share any of her accomplishments with them. But she still wants to be a part of her family. She thinks if her mom and dad can't understand her, maybe she can try to do more to understand them. Hello.
3: Oh, no, it's, I have, I hear it in here.
2: Okay. She decides to interview her parents.
3: (laughs) And when you were born. Her
2: mother tells her how when she was a kid, her father hit her all the time. I was so scared of him, she says. When he told us to do something and we couldn't do it, he would beat us. He said that I was stupid.
3: And more things came out, and some family secrets that I had never known, and it it helped me understand why they have so much anxiety about life. Her dad was 17 when
2: the war started.
3: The war happened. He joined the South Vietnamese Air Force and learned
2: to fly a helicopter.
3: Did you ever shoot the guns?
0: Shoot the gun, shoot the rocket. Really? And they have a gun. Her
2: dad married his first wife during the war. She was nine months pregnant with their first son when Saigon fell.
3: But the concentration camp. You went to a concentration camp? Uh-huh. For two years, 1975. Like you were th- a prisoner? Yeah, prisoner for two years. And then. Uh, what
0: was it like in the concentration camp? Oh, terrible life. He
3: says,
2: I starved. The first 19 months, I got so skinny. Wow. And then,
0: Did
3: they hit you? Maybe. They had they beat a lot of people. Uh, some people died because they tried to escape from the camp,
0: and they killed them.
2: After he was released from the camp, he managed to sneak out of Vietnam to the U.S. He worked one low-wage job after another, saving up to bring his wife and sons over. Okay. 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 Then he got the letter. It said there was a boat. Ten people from his family were in it, and only two survived. His wife and oldest son were dead. <laughs> Mylin is silent through this story. For the next six minutes on the tape, she doesn't ask a question, no interruptions, no comments.
3: That was the first time I'd I'd um seen him like that. Like, it was almost as though I wasn't in the room anymore. (laughs) Like, he completely transported to a different time and a different place and was just really in it. She reached her arm around her dad's shoulder
2: to hold him, but it was so awkward.
3: It was weird for me to be there for him because we just never have had that kind of relationship where we were there for one another.
2: On some level, this string of tragedies explained things. Her parents' outbursts and overprotectiveness, their obsession with her success on their terms. But for Mylin, there's a million steps between understanding her parents' past and making peace with how things went down during her own childhood. Nothing could suddenly make it okay that her parents refused to accept her for who she is. The interview couldn't fix that.
3: It's not like... It wasn't about forgiving anybody. It wasn't about me working through any of my own feelings.
2: At the same time, she came face to face with all the tragedy her parents had had to bear. After all they sacrificed, she didn't want to be another source of their suffering. In that sense, the interviews are what made her decide to double down on the lies. She became even more committed to protecting her parents. Lying was her way of loving them. Within a few months, everyone seems to forget that these interviews ever happened. They never talked about it again. And the pattern between Mai Lin and her parents slips back to the way it always was.
3: Their love was conditional. And um, if I wanted their love, then I was going to have to do it their way. You know, I didn't get to be who I am. The
2: more things changed in Mylan's life, the bigger the lies to her parents got. Every law job she took felt boring and pointless. So she quit, left law altogether. She and her boyfriend ran off to Europe and Asia to dance. But of course, what she told her parents was totally different. And that's how she ended up in the car with them on their way back from the airport, spinning tails for four hours.
3: They thought that my first law firm sent me to japan because we were opening an office in tokyo and that i had some case to work on there she says lying is like improv it was intense like some of those questions are just very specific they wanted to know exactly how much money i was making now six figures they wanted to know how many raises have i gotten since i started at this firm three they wanted to know how many offices we have a dozen like which cities at some point i'm just sitting in the car Randomly naming cities and hoping they don't ask me to repeat. The real reason Mylin was back in the States was because she applied to
2: MFA programs for dance. And she had an interview at Arizona State. It was almost like her parents were in on the game.
3: They asked me, oh, have you considered living in another state? Because they really want me to get married and buy a house. One
2: of the random cities on her list was Tucson.
3: And so my dad said, oh, I mean, I know Arizona's hot, but, like, it should be pretty inexpensive there. Like, what if you moved there? And then I said, yeah, you're right, Dad. Like, let me consider that. (laughs) For Mylan's 30th
2: birthday, instead of having a party, she decided to take her parents and younger sister to a resort in Yosemite. After that dream of trying to give them money at their funeral and the disaster with the dance video, She figured she could at least take them on some trips, show them some appreciation. It was January, and there was snow everywhere, hardly any other people on the hiking trails. At one point, my Lynn and her dad got ahead of the others and were walking alone in the mountains.
3: And he says, you don't love me. And I said, this was a very expensive trip, Dad. (laughs) Like can you just and he goes no no I understand you kind of love me but I mean you don't really love me because you never call me we never talk and I said to him do you have any idea how exhausting it is talking to you because everything upsets you like you won't let me just live my life you won't let me be who I am so I have to pretend to be someone else for your sake and it's just tiring so i just don't even want to if i don't have to call you then i won't <laughs> did it feel in any way like like a step
2: forward with him or like a step toward reconciliation even
3: no because there's nowhere to go i'm not there's no destination i'm trying to get to with them at this point it's so late and the last 30 years have done nothing but proved to me over and over again that they're not going to be anybody else but who they are. And I said, I get it, Dad. I disappoint you as a daughter just as you disappoint me as a father. And I think it's best if we just (laughs) accept that about each other and, you know, just let that go and be okay with that. And he didn't say anything.
2: My said all this in English, so it's possible her dad just didn't understand what she was saying. Maybe that's why she felt she could be so blunt. Maybe she's saying these things more to herself than to him. Because every time she's tempted to come clean, she thinks of the dance video and her parents' utter rejection.
3: It's not gonna end happily. Like, we're not gonna come to a meeting of the minds and, like, understand one another in this life. It's just not gonna happen.
2: She's decided she's going to keep lying. She did move to Arizona, and is now enrolled in grad school to get her MFA. She teaches a 7.30 a.m. hip-hop class for undergrads, but with her parents, she's still making up stories about her stellar law career.
3: I'm just gonna pave over it and make it look nice so that they don't have to deal with any of the pain, that we don't have to deal with the pain of things not being how either of us want them to be.
2: She sometimes thinks of the ghost in her graveyard dream and what it will be like when her parents die for real, how broken she'll feel, but how she won't have to worry anymore about what they think of her or what she has to hide from them. listening to a special edition of the California Report magazine, a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. You can hear this story and others like it on the Leap podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or find the link at californiareport.org. Seth Samuel composed the music for this piece. Deb George was the editor with help from Judy Campbell. Our technical producer is Seal Muller with additional engineering from Katie McMurrin and Rob Spate. The California Report senior editor is Victoria Malione. Our editorial team includes Susie Rocho, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm April Domboski. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories.
0: Support for the California Report comes from College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at irvine.org.